Hello, friend. It's episode 372 of the Keto Diet Podcast. I can't even believe it. 372 episodes plus bonuses. I think we're above 400 at this point, which is just mind-blowing. Thank you so much for coming along this ride with me. We have another great episode planned for today. We're chatting with Dr. Dan, who is a Caltech-trained natural product chemist that has traveled to every continent discovering and researching bioactive compounds in plants and using them to help others. He holds 16 patents and has developed 70 nutritional supplements that gross 500 million in annual sales. He is an expert on how natural molecules from plants can improve any health condition. Dr. Gubler is a member of the London Speaker Bureau and has spoken at over 150 events in 40 countries to audiences as large as 60,000 people. Dr. Dan is one of the founders and chief science officers at Brilliant an innovative, proactive wellness company that formulates nutritional supplements to unleash our innate brilliance. He is also the host of the Discover with Dr. Dan, the proactive health podcast. Today, we're talking about plants and two different kind of real facets of plants, both the plants that we eat and the plants that are in our supplements. This is just such a great and interesting conversation. I wasn't entirely sure. Sometimes I have guests on the show where I'm like, I don't know where this is going to go. I don't know much about this topic. And so I'm just going to ask questions. And I always find those episodes interesting because I really go in just wanting to learn like you. So I hope that the questions that I asked were beneficial. I love that we touched on heavy metals and mycotoxins and supplements, guys. This has been a burden on my heart for the last couple of months, just going into the research and seeing how many supplement brands literally don't care if there are heavy metals in them. And a lot of the supplements I'm seeing recently are either sourced from or have mycotoxins in them specifically related to food mycotoxins. And this is how we can actually get mold toxicity and heavy metals in our body. And the more and more supplements we're taking, the more we're not caring about the quality of our supplements. It's sometimes better to go without a supplement than to go with one that could be potentially riddled with heavy metals and mycotoxins. Further to that, we talk about the benefit of plants on a ketogenic diet. I love having guests on the show that agree with me in this realm, although it is really nice to have guests that um, disagree with me and we can have nice conversations about why they think a certain thing, but it's always just so encouraging to hear from people that see that a ketogenic diet should have things like bananas and mangoes and honey and the odd grain here or there. So we're talking about how to make that work on your ketogenic diet, what sorts of compounds they have in those foods, why it's beneficial and how to pull all this together into a healthful diet that benefits you, that doesn't make you go crazy with all the rules and all of that. As always, if you have questions about today's episode, you can go to healthfulpursuit.com slash contact and ask me. You can also catch up on previous podcast episodes and notes from today's show by going to to ketodietpodcast.com. Like I say in today's episode, I'm going to include some carb up resources in the show notes today. So if you're listening to us talking about honey and how it could be beneficial to your diet and you're like, I'm on a ketogenic diet, what gives? I'll include some information on that. And also, it might be beneficial to listen to previous episodes that we've done on 
CGM. For example, episode 348, we had Casey Means on to talk about food combinations for better glucose control. That could be one that you might be interested in only because we can incorporate some of these really nutrient-dense foods on a ketogenic diet that wouldn't be labeled as keto per se, but can be super beneficial. Another great one to listen to is episode 323, where we talk about the best way to monitor ketones and the benefits of fasting, because we do talk about how to monitor ketones in a fasted state and how ketones are the best measurement of a fasted state. And then glucose is the best measurement of a fed state. So if you're listening to today's episode and you're like, how does this relate to the ketogenic diet? And how do I build this up? Those two episodes can be a real benefit to you. Okay, let's cut to today's episode. Hey, I'm Leanne Vogel. You're listening to the Keto Diet Podcast. I've created a free guide with tips on how to start keto and maintain your fat-fueled life. Grab it at healthfulpursuit.com slash free as a little thank you for listening to the show. Hi, Dr. Dan. How are you? I'm doing good, Leanne. So glad to be on your show. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing so well, always. I really enjoy my job. I could sit here for days on end talking with super interesting people about their life. It's really great. (laughs) Yeah, well, I love to talk science. I love to talk health with you. And I, I love the stuff that you're doing and look forward to our chat. Yeah, thanks so much. Totally. So I'd love for you in a couple words just to tell us who you are, what you do and what lights you up. Yeah, so I'm a natural products chemist. So I travel around the world studying compounds and plants, exotic plants that haven't really been studied in traditional medicine. But also I love just discovering new compounds in in the foods that we eat and how they can uh, benefit our bodies. Wow. So much to unpack there. What do you mean by exotic plants? Like, How do you even know what to look for? Can you give us an example of what that looks like? Yeah. So um, there's 600,000 species of plants on the earth, give or take. We don't know exactly for sure because, you know, some areas of the world, like areas in Indonesia and especially areas in Russia, really haven't opened up too much for plant expeditions. But less than 5% of those 600,000 species of plants have been studied for their bioactive compounds. A lot of them have been used in traditional medicine. But when it comes to isolating the organic compounds from the plants and testing what they do to the human body, body, there really isn't a lot of research. And so that's what I do. One example is I've done a lot of research on the Hawaiian Islands. Hawaii is the most isolated place on earth because you have to go 2000 miles in any direction to get to the next closest landmass. And so there's a lot of really interesting plants that grow in that area. So in talking with traditional medicine healers, there's this plant that's called the vampire plant because it actually, it's a parasitic plant. It doesn't have its own roots and it grows on other plants. It has these suction cups called haustoria that pierce the outer lining of the host plant and it drinks the water and the nutrients from the host plant. It drinks its blood. And anyways, these traditional medicine healers said that this plant is used for sleep, that when someone has insomnia, they drop a hot water bath, they get the water as hot as a person can stand, they put the person in the bath, then they take this plant, which is a bright orange color, and it looks like uh, angel hair pasta. It's really thin. They throw it in the water, the water turns a bright orange, and they say that it helps the person sleep. And 
And so we did studies where we took that plant, we put it in hot water, and then we analyzed the organic compounds that were in the water and that were coming off. They were off-gassing off the water. And we found that this uh, plant contains a class of compounds called aporphine alkaloids that actually work like Ambien. They work on the same receptors, Ambien and Lunesta, and can help you sleep, but without the side effects because they don't bind as tight. Whoa, that is so cool. I have so many questions for you. (laughs) So it sounds like these plants are indigenous to the area and these people who have lived on the land for a really long time have discovered these things and you go on your plant expeditions. That's literally the coolest thing. And you talk with the people that are from that area or like, what does that look like? And how do the people know to put it in water? Like, is that a silly question? How would they know how to do that? No, that's an amazing question. And that's one of the most fascinating things that I found as I go on these on these expeditions is in talking with traditional medicine healers. And I talk with them and, and a lot of them aren't really, you know, forthcoming on that. You know, some people say that it was inspiration, that it was passed down. Someone way up the family tree had a revelatory experience. Some people said it's just trial and error. But a lot of people, most of the time, they're just like, I don't really know. I mean, this has just been passed on from, you know, I trained from whoever traditional medicine healer who was trained by so-and-so, trained by so-and-so all the way up. And they don't really know know the origin story. And like you said, to me, that's the most fascinating, right? Was it revelation? Was it inspiration? Was it just trial and error over hundreds or even thousands of years that they were just experimenting, so to speak? But we don't really know. But it's fascinating to think about. Wow. That's so cool. Okay. So this vampire plant, that is incredible. And so once you go back to the lab and you're testing this out and you have these realizations, what are you doing with this information after? Yeah. So, well, the first thing that we do is we do toxicity studies on human cells to make sure that this plant isn't going to obviously hurt people. It's been used in traditional medicine for a long time. So any plant that we study, it has to have some traditional medicine usage. I don't like to just study plants that haven't been studied on humans, at least anecdotally in traditional medicine systems in the past, because that can just open you up to a wide range of problems. And obviously, safety is the number one priority when we're discovering compounds for human health. But so that's why I like to use plants that have been used for thousands of years in traditional medicine. And then what we do is we see is are these plants, is there a feasible route that we can have people use these plants in a safe and controlled way? And the way that we do that is we go along the process of registering this plant as a novel ingredient with the FDA and in other countries that we want to sell it. The other thing too that we look is, is it possible to harvest, wild harvest, or even cultivate this plant in a sustainable, most importantly, in a sustainable manner that also honors the indigenous people where this plant was first discovered and used. And those are some of the variables and factors we look into to see if there's a way that we can have people use this plant in a supplement form or other form in order to promote their health. Amazing. And when you say uh, where you want to sell it, would it be more in the natural realm like supplements or more in the prescription realm? Like, is that the work you do or is that the decisions you make or do you kind of present the ideas and then anyone can take it or what does that even look like? Yeah. So I prefer to go the natural supplement route. So I was a pharmaceutical chemist uh, before. That's actually my training. I I made pharmaceutical drugs. 
drugs and studied them and, you know, figured out how to design drugs to hit certain enzymes in the body. And that's how pharmaceuticals work. You have an enzyme, an active site, a pocket in an enzyme that other chemists, other scientists have discovered that might have biological property. And then you synthetically design a molecule that will fit that pocket as tight as possible. It's, it's a suicide inhibitor. And that's how the pharmaceutical method and model works. And that's great. That's a good model. But the pharmaceutical method is used for reactive wellness. You know, when people have kind of gone so far down the path that they're in this death spiral and you want to pull them out. So you have to use pretty harsh methods. I prefer the proactive wellness method. So these natural compounds from plants, they bind to those receptors, but they don't bind as tight so they can pop on and pop off. And so the response isn't as strong, but it's a response that when you use often, it provides a long-term beneficial result. And I should also say that uh, 50% of all pharmaceutical drugs are from plants. So when I was in the pharma industry and you had a an assignment from someone saying, hey, you need to design a drug for Alzheimer's, so to speak. Well, not so to speak. For example, they would give you a map of an enzyme in an active site and you needed to design a molecule to fit that active site. But interestingly, the first thing that you did is you took libraries of natural compounds from plants, millions of these compounds, and you would run them through a database, through a library, and it would scan each of these molecules for their fit inside this active site and you would get a hit. It would give you, you know, the the Z score about how well that natural compound bound to this site. And then you would actually use that as a starting point. So most pharmaceutical drugs, half of pharmaceutical drugs are either compounds from plants as they are without any modifications, or they use this molecule from a plant as a starting point. And then they did their synthetic chemistry to get the final drug. Whether you're keto, low-carb, paleo, or somewhere in between, electrolytes facilitate hundreds of functions in the body, including the conduction of nerve impulses, hormonal regulation, nutrient absorption, and fluid balance. This is amplified on the ketogenic diet, but every human requires this balance. When you have adrenal hypo or hyperfunction, this affects your body's ability to balance sodium and potassium. Do you get headaches behind your left eye? This is a good sign that you need sodium. Headaches behind your right eye? This is a good sign you need potassium. Nearly every one of my clients that I work one-on-one -on -one with have an imbalance of electrolytes when they first come to see me. Symptoms such as headaches, muscle cramps, fatigue, sleeplessness, or seen right there in their blood work. Much of this is improved with proper electrolyte supplementation. Now, I personally consume at least one packet of electrolytes daily, and not just any electrolyte, element electrolytes, because it doesn't have sugar, fillers, coloring, artificial, gunk, and has the effective electrolyte ratio that so many other guys don't do right, with 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, 60 milligrams of magnesium, that perfect combination. Right now, Element is offering my listeners a free sample pack with any order. That's eight single serving packets free with any element order. This is a great way to try all eight flavors or share element with a salty friend. Get yours at drinklmnt.com slash KDP. This deal is only available through my link. You must go to D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com slash kdp element offers a no questions asked refund so you can try it totally risk free 
If you don't like it, share it with a friend and they will give you your money back, no questions asked. You really have nothing to lose. I just love these guys. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash KDP. You're blowing my mind right now. This is so incredibly cool. I've often wondered how this worked. So I'm so glad that you're here. <laughs> okay, so something that you said, if we can just backtrack a little bit, the bioactive compounds from plants that boost your health really in any category, I guess, like what sort of things, is it anything? Like what are the main things that you focus on or is it just whatever, like I'm guessing mental health or I don't know, mitochondria or thyroid, like where do you find all these things? Like what do you find is the most popular? Yeah. So when it comes to plants, there's different components of plants and there's macronutrients, which we obviously know, protein, fat, carbs. There are micronutrients, which are, you know, selenium, vitamin B12, etc. And then there are phytonutrients. And these phytonutrients are underutilized. People don't really think about them a lot. And they're, I wouldn't say they're swept under the rug, but they're just not talked about enough. In health, we want to talk about fuel and want to talk about ratios and fat, protein, carb ratios and ketones, which are amazing, but we don't talk about the bioactive. So when I say bioactive compounds from plants, an example would be from grapes, you have the phytonutrient resveratrol. And we all know about resveratrol. That's the small molecule that when people say drink a glass of red wine a day and it's healthy for you, it's mostly because of resveratrol and we have different polyphenols. So like in ginkgo, we have a class of compounds called ginkolides. In rhodiola, which we know is an adaptogen, we have compounds called rosevins. In saffron, we have a bioactive, a phytonutrient called safranal, which is the compound responsible for why saffron can help with PMS and depression and PMDD. In cacao, we have flavanols, which are responsible for lowering blood pressure. Cacao also has a phytonutrient called anandamide which is the bliss chemical that works on the cannabinoid receptor that helps you to be happy and have joy. So those are just a few examples of phytonutrients. So really what I do is I'm a phytonutrient chemist. I'm passionate and obsessive, I guess you could say, about isolating and studying these phytonutrients from foods and plants and how they can impact the body. That's just incredible. I recently started suggesting specific supplements. Have you heard of Supreme Nutrition products? I have not. No. Okay. What I really like about them and something that I've started noticing specifically in my practice is that it's really nice and very simplified to suggest one specific nutrient as opposed to maybe a combination. Like if you're working on parasites, you might suggest a multi supplement that contains many different herbal remedies all in one thing. But I've noticed a lot of people actually respond better to like individual items such as like Mimosa pudica, for example, if you're dealing with parasites, as opposed to like a whole combination of things. Are you looking at plants overall? Like, for example, I'm just thinking of some off the top of my head, like chase tree. That's a really popular one because of hormones and things like that. Are you planning this ahead of time before you go on these expeditions of these are the plants we're looking for, or these are the compounds that we're looking for, or what does that look like? And how does that then translate to the final 
traditional supplement? Yeah. So wonderful question. We do both. When we look at the traditional medicine documents, so when we're going to a place, say Indonesia, for instance, that's one of my favorite places to go because the biodiversity is just so amazing there. We read the traditional medicine documents and we scour what's known there. For instance, you know, there's this plant called ant nest plant that we've studied that has some really good anti-inflammatory properties. And so obviously when we're studying that plant, supporting healthy inflammation is on our minds. A lot of times we'll have plants where we don't know the chemical composition of that plant, but we know that a related species of that plant, say in Papua New Guinea, has these bioactive compounds that help with that help with parasites, for instance. And so going in and studying that new plant in Indonesia, we have an idea that potentially this plant could contain antiparasitic compounds. And so when we do our isolation, we look for those compounds. We basically look in the area where we think those types of compounds should exist and we see if they're there. And so it's it's kind of a crapshoot. It's it's like finding a needle in, in a haystack, which is fun. So we do look for specific need state type compounds and phytonutrients, but we also look in general. So one of the things that I'm fascinated about is biosignaling. And basically the body performs millions of chemical reactions every single second. You know, brain health, heart health, bone health, joint health, gut microbiome health. And all of these reactions are driven by genes. And we know genes are chemical switches turn on and off that control these processes. Well, if we take a step back, what's controlling the genes? Well, controlling the genes are these biosignaling pathways. It's like a domino cascade where you push one domino down and it starts this chain reaction that then turns on genes. Lifestyle factors can actually slide dominoes out of place. Poor diet, lack of sleep, lack of exercise, stress, anxiety, slide some of these dominoes in these cascade events out of place. And so the cascade doesn't work as well or it doesn't work at all. And when you look at the scientific literature, it's the next question, what's controlling these biosignaling pathways? And the scientific literature is clear that natural compounds from plants, phytonutrients actually control a lot of these signaling cascades. And so when we're looking for plants, we want to find compounds from plants that are master regulators of these signaling pathways. When you look at the science, you know, we don't need more macronutrients. We have a lot of fuel, protein, fat, carbs, and everybody is fuel focused. But what helps to allocate the fuel and how the fuel is used in the body are these phytonutrients. So it's like having a car and having the tank full of gas. Well, that's great. We have fuel, but we if we don't have the key to turn on the car. And if we don't have the other components of the car, like the transmission that are vital for movement, then we're not going to go very far. And that's what these phytonutrients do to the body. Wow. Yes, completely. I couldn't agree with you more. We are very macro focused, that fuel focus without looking at the bigger picture. Where do you find, like, is this in your scope of practice? Because you are looking at these compounds, you are seeing that very, very micro detail that makes a massive macro adjustment, it sounds like, with the biosignaling. Are you seeing issues with certain dietary or lifestyle practices, understanding how the body responds to these things in your practice? Is that something that you see? Yeah, it's it's definitely something that we look at. And it's it's hard because you're trying to look at the long game. You know, one of the rage diets right now are the animal-based diets, right? Where people show that, yeah, I eat a ribeye and a T-bone and I eat some organ meat and I eat a papaya and a mango a day. And that's all I eat. And, you know, and they tout the benefits and, you know, and they seem to do 
do really well. But in the short term, right, because we're looking at it just in the short term. And I worry that if we eat that type of a diet, you look at that type of a diet and it really doesn't have any phytonutrients. Yeah, you have some from the papaya mango, but you don't have phytonutrients from amazing vegetables and other fruits that are on this planet, I believe, for a reason. They have different colors, meaning they have different types of phytonutrients in those foods that help to catalyze these reactions. So I worry people doing this diet long term, are there going to be detrimental results? And so when it comes to meat, you know, meat potentially contains some phytonutrients. There's been some research showing that there are little packages in, you know, like grass-fed beef, for instance, called exosomes that could potentially contain some phytonutrients. But we don't really know. That research is still going on. But I worry if we're not, you know, low-carb is great, but hopefully we're eating some low-carb sources in the vegetable realm that provides some of these beneficial phytonutrients that help to regulate signaling in the body. I couldn't agree with you more. I tried the carnivore diet where you don't even have a mango or papaya. You literally just eat meat. And I lasted probably three days because all I wanted was color. Like I wanted strawberries and blueberries and kale. And the deeper the color, the better. I just couldn't do it. I know that I couldn't do it. And as we have this conversation about herbal plants, you know, your job sounds so fascinating. Just going to these places, knowing what you're looking for, finding other things. And that's more of the herbal realm. But it sounds to me like what you just said. It also like plants that we eat are just is important. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, what I talked about in my research is kind of the more exotic side. And it's cliche now that food is medicine, but that's really true. You know, like a mango, we talked about a mango. Mango contains a really cool compound called mangiferin, which is essential for regulating signaling mechanisms related to the cell cycle, right? So cells need to grow, they need to mature, and they need to die. Problems happen when cells figure out a way to escape that cycle and become immortal or they're in different stages of the cycle for too long. Bananas, which everybody kind of vilifies as, you know, one of the most sugar-laden, terrible sources on the planet, bananas actually contain neurotransmitters like, like L-DOPA and GABA, which are amazing for helping with brain function. Avocados contain natural compounds called furans, which help avocados contain a lot of healthy fat, and that's great. Furans actually tap in and help the body utilize that fat from avocados in order for fuel efficiency. Cherry, tart cherry, a lot of us know this, but cherry contains melatonin and class of polyphenols called procyanidins, which are really good at regulating circadian rhythm. So in the foods that we eat that are pretty common that we should be eating all the time, you have these medicinal compounds, these phytonutrients that are essential for health. Yep, it's so true. I remember back in 2014 when I started talking about the ketogenic diet, it wasn't all that popular then. The people that were eating keto were mostly eating like Slim Jims and Diet Coke and saying that it was so good for their health. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I think a ketogenic diet should still contain things like kale and, you know, cycling bananas and all those sorts of things. So you have that variety. And I've been booed off stages sharing this stuff. So <laughs> it's so cool that it's in 2022, people are openly talking about this and saying how important it is. Like, how do you share this information? What is your platform or just, I mean, it sounds like you're quite knowledgeable about all these benefits. What are you doing with this information and how are you sharing that 
to important people so that they're educated. Yeah, I have a podcast called Discover with Dr. Dan where I talk about it. I have guests that come in and share their expertise based on what's known in the scientific literature. So these are these are experts in their field. And then I also have an episode each week where I talk about phytonutrients in plants and medicinal compounds. And I really focus on the foods that we eat. You know, the exotic that I do that I incorporate into supplements and whatnot. That's, that's great. But really, I'm passionate about giving people actionable information. And so I talk about normal foods that we are eating or should be eating. They're medicinal compounds. I have a TikTok channel that is actually doing quite well. It's really interesting that people, people want to know these things. And this channel is growing rapidly. And I'm grateful for that because my passion is just helping people understand what's going on. I do some consulting with uh, people at different companies, you know, especially C-suite executives and different companies that are really passionate about helping their people in the workforce. One of the big movements, and it's a great movement, is people are, you know, providing on-campus eating facilities for their employees and benefits like that. So employees don't have to go out and, you know, most of the time when they go out, they're eating junk food, you know, fast food that is devoid of phytonutrients. These bioactive compounds are not really helpful for you. And so some employers are doing really cool things where not only do they have the on-campus eating facilities, but they're really trying to enrich the food that they're giving to their employees in these bioactive compounds. You're here because you want to get a handle on your health. And if you've been keto for any amount of time, you know that glucose management is the key to burning fat. If there's too much glucose partying out in your body, it makes it that much more challenging to burn fat and generate ketones. Wearing a continuous glucose monitor, aka CGM, is the key to unlocking what's going on in your body minute to minute. You'd be amazed at how many foods you thought would have no effect on your blood sugar actually do. I was blown away at how volatile my glucose was when I first applied a CGM in 2020. I thought my diet was perfect. By seeing your glucose mapped out moment by moment, you get to see how stress, activity, and food choices make a direct impact on your health and how you feel. CGM is the number one tool I use with my clients when they're needing motivation to clean up their diet. There's nothing quite like seeing in real time what the food you just ate is doing to your body. Daily, I make better choices because I'm wearing a CGM. I started using the NutriSense CGM program in February 2022, and I've been really impressed with how easy it is to use this app. You apply the CGM to your arm, I swear it doesn't hurt, and then connect it to the NutriSense app to show you way more than your glucose level. The app displays your peak, how high your glucose spiked after the meal, stability, how much of a jump your glucose took, recovery, whether or not you recovered to your pre-meal glucose number, delta, the difference between your glucose before the meal and after the meal. And all of this data is summed up with a meal by meal and final daily score so you can track your progress day by day. I could go on and on and on and on about this app, but it's probably better if you just go to NutriSense.io slash KDP and use the code KDP to get 30 dollars off any subscription plan to the CGM program. And your purchase comes with one month of free support from a registered dietitian. Step by step, they show you how to track your data, understand your glucose trends, log meals, see the macro breakdown, and so much more. That's NutriSense 
bit.io slash KDP and use the code KDP for $30 off. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for doing that work. And it, it takes a whole bunch of people sharing all sorts of information to really educate. And I'm glad that you're out there sharing your brilliance. And I guess one piece that you said that practical application, what are some of the key foods, you know, you've talked about bananas and mangoes and, and things, what are some of the key foods that you feel like people are not eating, or maybe they've stopped thinking that it's a good food like bananas that you you feel could benefit quite a lot of people. Yeah. Well, one area that I think people are wary of is the grains. You know, a lot of people just want to, they abhor grains and they think they're terrible for you and spike your blood sugar. And some people are, are gluten intolerant and that's, that's totally understandable. One of the biggest comments I get when I talk about a food is people say, well, I'm allergic to that food or I can't eat it. Well, food intolerance is a big deal and it's real. And, you know, we, we recognize that. So if you can't eat that food, totally understandable. There's other foods that you can eat. So rye, barley, and wheat are actually really good for you if you're tolerant to them. They contain a class of compounds called benzoxazenoids that actually help to shuttle the carbohydrates into the cells and utilize them for fuel. Benzoxazenoids are also really good for cell cycle to keep the cell on target to make sure the cells are growing and pass away at the right time so that another cell can take its place. They're really good for sleep, actually. So that's one area that I think a lot of people are moving away from grains. One thing that's really interesting with banana and grains, these foods that are traditionally revered as high carb, even honey, you know, and I know some people on your show don't eat honey with a keto diet and whatnot, but people think that honey and sorghum and molasses and these different things spike your blood glucose. When you have these phytonutrients in these foods, grains and honey and, and other foods, these phytonutrients actually round out the glucose curve and your glucose doesn't spike as much or sometimes at all because these phytonutrients utilize those carbs and push them into the cell at a high accelerated rate so you don't see this spike in your blood glucose. Yes, I can attest to that personally, not so much with the grain piece. I'm celiac, so that's totally out for me, unfortunately. And I do work with a lot of clients that have massive gut issues and removing the grains for a season. I said a season can be helpful, but I think we have this propensity toward like, if it's bad for me now, it's bad for me always. And I'll never be able to have that thing again. And there was a time where I could not have honey. There was no way that I could handle honey. Now, oh boy, I can eat honey, I can have rice, I can have quinoa. And you bet if my body enjoys it, and by wearing a continuous glucose monitor, it's not affecting my glucose, I always thought the honey would be off. But I can do a substantial amount of honey, and it really does nothing to my glucose, which is really awesome. It is awesome. And it's counterintuitive, because a lot of people think honey is just like a table sugar, but it's not. And again, it's these bioactive compounds inside the honey that are responsible for that. So it's not just macros as we've talked about before. The other part of the equation are these are these bioactive phytonutrients. Completely. So we've talked about honey, grains, bananas, anything else that you feel people might want to look into? Uh, yeah. So nuts are a really amazing source of these bioactive compounds. Uh, Brazil nuts contain a uh, class of compounds called organoselino compounds. 
And as the name implies, they're a great source of selenium. And so there's been a lot of really cool studies showing that eating one or two Brazil nuts a day can help with cognitive decline and immune health. A study done in Brazil on elderly people who are experiencing cognitive decline, they found that taking one Brazil nut a day actually helped to stop cognitive decline or even reverse it a little bit. Cognitive function increased in these people. And that's because one Brazil nut contains a lot of micrograms. I can't remember the number off the top of my head. I have to look, you know, maybe 50 to 75 micrograms. Don't hold me to that, but it contains a lot of a good amount of selenium. And selenium is also great for immune health as well. And so one to two Brazil nuts a day is a really nice natural way to get your selenium. Uh, walnuts are really good in, in a class of bioactive compounds called urolithins, which also help to prevent cognitive decline. Pecans, rich in phytosterols, which help with uh, heart health, especially. They help to lower cholesterol levels and triglycerides in the body. So nuts are really underutilized source. You know, people think all they contain is fat and they're not healthy for you. You know, the dialogue is shifting on healthy fat and that's really refreshing and good. But utilizing nuts in your diet is, is a really good thing to do. Yeah, I think with the selenium, because Brazil nuts change in size, you know, you get like a really big one, a really small one. I always say like three to four a day gives you about 200 micrograms of selenium. I believe it's something around there because they are just, you can get little baby ones, really big ones. So I'm hearing you say a lot of things about certain foods that contain certain things. And I know that there is a woman listening. There might be multiple of them that are like, okay, so I need to look up every food and what their compounds are. And if my goal is heart health, then I need to focus on those foods. I'm not entirely sure if that's the direction we want to take with us. What would be your ideas on how to develop a healthful diet? diet without going crazy and doing so much research and, and making it the focus of, okay, well, if my goal is heart health, these are the 10 foods I need to eat all the time. Like how do we develop something healthfully without getting obsessed about it with these details? Oh, that's a fabulous question. The future of phytonutrients, one thing I'll say to, to prep us for my answer is the future of phytonutrients, it's still young. It's in its nascent development. I see the day where a lot of these phytonutrients from these plants, from the food that we eat, are going to have vitamin-like status, meaning there's going to be a percent RDA attached to each of these. But that's still a little bit away, and there's a lot of science and quantification of these phytonutrients and foods that need to be done. And so, like you said, yeah, trying to obsess and trying to calculate and look at the literature, you know, that's what weird, uh, geeky people like. That's what I do. But in general, I would say if you just broaden your spectrum and make sure that you're eating a wide diversity of foods, you know, you have your go-to and that's good. But dive into the different fruits, dive into the different vegetables, you know, vegetables that you usually don't eat, you know, like fennel. Fennel's an amazing vegetable that contains a lot of polyphenols. And there's good research on fennel with anxiety and menopause. For women who are breastfeeding, fennel contains some really cool compounds that can help to increase milk production, which is obviously really important during that stage. Uh, dive into the spices, you know, saffron, cloves, dill. There's a lot of really 
really good active compounds and all of those. You know, experiment with different beverages. You know, instead of uh, coffee and tea, try matcha. It's a variety of tea, you know, but it's a bit different. Try matcha, try yerba mate, try mamaki, which is a tea from uh, Hawaii. Try guayusa and yaupan. Fermented foods, really good area. You know, so if you haven't got into fermented foods, give that a try and just be diverse. I, I think that that's the most important thing at this stage in time with where the science is at on these active compounds from foods. That's great. And I can totally speak to fennel. I love that stuff. I'm obsessed with fennel, like just raw cut up with hummus. It is my go-to snack. I love it so much. I get so upset when I go to the grocery store and they don't have fennel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, with how amazing your podcast is, you know, maybe I'll go to the store and it'll be gone, you know, but fennel, fennel's amazing. Oh, no. <laughs> don't, don't like fennel guys. Don't like fennel. <laughs> oh, there we go. Good. Yes. Yes. Good message there. One thing that I love to do with fennel is there's this melting cabbage recipe where you take fennel, you cut it up, slice it up, you throw it into a pan and you cook it up with some butter and garlic until the fennel, you know, melts and gets a little bit brown. And then you take a head of cabbage and you cut it in quarters. You keep the inside rind of the cabbage in place because that's what holds the cabbage together. And then you fry the sides of the, roast the sides of the cabbage with the fennel in your fry pan. And then you add a little bit of uh, white wine and tomato paste and some other spices to it. And then you cook that in the oven for about 20 minutes. And it's just amazing. I really hope you're enjoying today's episode. I'd love to see where you're listening from. You can snap a pic and tag me at Leanne Vogel or leave a review for the show on your favorite podcast player. It helps me out tremendously. Okay, back to the good stuff. That sounds so good. I have literally all those ingredients. That's awesome. And also some of the items that you said, understanding that this is the keto diet podcast, some women might be thinking like, Leanne, I'm not going to eat a banana. Like that's not going to happen. Or I'm not going to eat a mango or you're nuts. Why would I eat honey? I'm going to include a link in the show notes about carb ups and my suggestion there around being able to diversify your diet, bring in variety, maintain your ketogenic state while also being able to have that variety and some of the items that Dr. Dan's talked about today, because yeah, I've put together tons of resources on that. So I'll include a link in the show notes. And to kind of go full circle, kind of the first part of our conversation about supplementation and kind of getting into that, there are so many supplements to choose from. It is astronomically crazy. What should one look for in a quality supplement to have some of these items that you've spoken about today? Yeah. Wonderful question. And it's so true. Supplements are just red ocean, right? Everybody's out there. And it's actually really easy to sell a supplement, right? If I wanted to start a supplement company, it's easy to go to a contract manufacturer that makes supplements. And I say, hey, I want a, I don't know, a weight loss product, a weight loss shake. And these contract manufacturers, they already have a weight loss formula that they make for 10 or 12 other companies, right? So you basically white label it. A lot of times they'll sprinkle in a proprietary 
proprietary blend, you know, so now it's your unique air quotes, unique formula. And then you go and you and you sell it. And the challenge then is how do you market that? It's more of a marketing strategy rather than it is, you know, actual scientific differentiation. So some things that you can do is you want to look for a supplement that has clinical studies done on the entire formula. A lot of times when supplements say they have clinical studies, they have a clinical study on one ingredient in that formula. It's a branded ingredient and the supplier that sold that ingredient to this supplement company showed them the clinical studies. But there's nine other ingredients in that formula. And so to assume that it's going to have the same benefit as that one ingredient with the clinical study, uh, that's a stretch. People talk about synergy, one plus one equals three. Well, you could have negative synergy. One plus one can also mean negative 100. So when you throw those other compounds in there, it can actually negate the benefit of that clinically studied ingredient. The other thing too, is a lot of people think more is better. So they just mix and match and throw in these different compounds without really thinking, is it going to be safe? Because once you mix and match different things together, safety can be in question. So you want to find a supplement, number one, that has clinical studies on the formula showing first and foremost safety and then clinical efficacy. The second thing that you want to, you want a, a supplement that has patents unique to that supplement so that you know that there is some IP, some unique technology behind that supplement. And that increases the likelihood of that supplement providing a beneficial response for you. You want to choose a supplement where the ingredients are easy to find on the website. One of the crazy things that I don't understand is when you go to a lot of these websites that are selling supplements, you can't find the ingredient list. There's just all this marketing mumbo jumbo about how amazing it is and whatnot, but you can't find the ingredients at all. Or sometimes it's buried three or four layers deep in the website in like some obscure part of the Q&A section. And that's baffling to me, right? You know, supplements require a lot of inherent trust. These are things that we're putting into our body and it's vital that we understand what's in there. And it just kind of makes me a little, I don't know, disappointed or curious when supplement companies want to hide that from you. They're, they should realize that this is a big deal and they should be so transparent and forthcoming on what the supplement contains. And along with that, they should give you a certificate of analysis of the supplement saying, hey, we tested this supplement or better yet, a third party tested the supplement. And we've shown, actually they've shown independent of us that there's no heavy metals in here, that there's no mycotoxins and they should show you everything about the supplement, you know, where we say there's 200 milligrams of ginkgo and this third party tested and said, yes, there's 200 milligrams of ginkgo and so forth for each of the active ingredients. We need to have standardized ingredients in a supplement because, you know, just saying we have turmeric in the supplement is totally different from saying we have turmeric, which is standardized to 95% curcuminoids. So there's the plant and then there's the active compounds in the plant. So when you look at a supplement, it needs to be referring to how the amount of the active compounds in that supplement. A few other things real quick. We need to avoid proprietary blends. The United States is the only country on the planet where proprietary blends are allowed on the label. And most of the time, proprietary blend is a tricky way to kind of throw everything in the kitchen sink in a supplement, but not have them in efficacious amounts. 
So it's a it's a way that supplement companies use to hide actual amounts that are not efficacious, but they look great on the label because, oh, yeah, you know, elderberry, that's a great ingredient. But if you're only adding 10 milligrams of elderberry when you need 300 to start having efficacy, that's a big deal. Yeah, I completely agree with you. A huge part of my practice is suggesting certain supplements for clients. And it still it doesn't cease to amaze me when they send me what they're taking. And I look at one, the sheer amount of the things that they're taking and then the quality of the things and the combination of the things. And I'm just like, this, how do we even know? This is too many things. <laughs> and those blends and you have no idea if it says that it has N-acetylcysteine and doesn't list how much you could be taking literally five milligrams. That's going to do nothing really to make a difference. You need a minimum of 1200, if not like 1800 milligrams. And so, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And I'm so glad you touched on heavy metals and mycotoxins and supplements. I am approached by so many companies on a daily basis. And one of them literally was made via mycotoxin like compounds. And then they didn't have testing. And I'm like, I can't recommend if you're creating your supplement via mold and you don't have third party testing, I can't recommend this supplement. No way. No way. <laughs> nope. Nope. Nopes. Yeah. You know, it's a lucrative industry. A lot of people want to get into it. And the barrier to entry, unfortunately, to get into supplements is quite low. You know, when, like I said, you grab something from a contract manufacturer, it's, it's unfortunately really easy to get in there and not know what you're doing, not knowing science, not knowing the new nuances of the industry and you provide something that frankly can be dangerous to people. And that's that's my big concern. That barrier to entry is so low and you can be causing damage to people if you don't know what you're doing. Yep, completely. Oh, Dr. Dan, this was such a great conversation. I've definitely learned so much from you and very encouraged by what you had to share. Where can people find more from you? You mentioned your podcast and feel free to load it up and I'll ensure that everything's in the show notes. Wonderful. Yeah, we'll do. We have a podcast. I'm on social media. Instagram, TikTok. I do sell some supplements. You can check those out if you're interested. And yeah, those are the major areas where you can find what I'm doing. Awesome. I'll be sure to include all those links in the show notes. Thanks again for coming on the show today. My pleasure, Leanne. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you really enjoyed our podcast episode today with Dr. Dan. He's the host of Discover with Dr. Dan, the Proactive Health Podcast. And I will see you back here next Tuesday for another episode of the Keto Diet Podcast. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Keto Diet Podcast. Join us again in a couple of days to discover more Keto for Women secrets for your fat-fueled life. Music for the Keto Diet Podcast provided by Yechi. Follow Jacob on Instagram at Yechi underscore official and on Spotify as Yechi. That's Y-E-C-H-I. The Keto Diet Podcast, including show notes and links, provides information in respect to healthy living, recipes, nutrition, and diet, and is intended for informational purposes only. The information provided is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, nor is it to be construed as such. We cannot guarantee that the information provided on the Keto Diet Podcast reflects the most up-to-date medical research. Information is provided without any representations or warranties of any kind. Please consult a qualified physician for medical advice and always seek the advice of a qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding your health and nutrition program.